Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 14, and we'll read two verses. You will remember that Timothy is Paul's disciple. He calls him his son in the faith. He writes two very personal letters to Timothy, but also letters that instruct about the church, how the church is to be run, organized, and what our center should be. Notice here, Paul is speaking about a mystery this morning. And as you can see from our title of the message here, we're talking about God, again, Jesus being manifested, again, epiphany, appearing, revealing. He's been revealed in the sacraments. And we're going to talk about what that means this morning. Notice these two verses here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Starting with verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank You for Your Word. This morning we ask that You would help us to hide Your Word, these words, in our hearts so that we won't sin against You so that we'll be able to be Your disciples, Lord, in the world, proclaiming and being a witness to You until You come again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He appeared, was revealed, was manifested in the flesh. This is what this hymn here at the uh, end of chapter 3 is saying to us from the very beginning, He was manifest in the flesh and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and then taken up into glory. Why did He do this? Why did He become one of us? Why did God have this huge rescue plan uh, moving into place and now climaxing in Jesus Christ? Why? Because God became man as the old... Uh, saying goes from probably dating around 300 A.D., God became man so that we can become like God. Isn't that what we mean by being godly? We're godly if we are in God. Have you ever thought to yourself or known someone from your own history? A saint... Someone that you would say was a godly person, that means they share in the very nature of God. No less than that. We are called to be godly. If that's not the description someone would give of your life, it can be. We're all called to be saints. What the Holy Spirit is doing in our life automatically when we receive Him is making us 
perfect. Making us one with God. Making us godly. Through situations. Through His means of grace. It's His promise to us. And it's not only a promise. It's possible. We can live godly. In other words, like God. It's what Jesus has come to do. It's what God has given to us in salvation. This is the good news of Christ. And we say here this morning that Jesus is manifested in the sacraments. Sacramentum is a Latin word that has to do with vows, quite frankly. It was first used kind of in a secular way to mean the vows that a military person would take when they joined the Roman army. Just like the people that you know who's done the military vow, that's a pretty serious vow. That's not something you just say, you know what, this basic training stuff's getting a little too bad. Having to wake up at 4.30, not my thing. I'm going to head back home, guys. No. No. That's Once you make this type of vow... It's a legally binding vow. So this sacramentum has to do with vows, but also has to do with the sacred. And you know that, because when we talk about the sacraments of the church, you're typically talking about, at least in Protestantism, which you're in a Protestant church this morning, if you're not aware of that, you're talking about two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, communion. It's been called communion, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving, the great Thanksgiving. Isn't that what we do around a meal anyway? We give thanks. That's why we pray for a meal. We don't pray so that we don't get sick, contrary to popular belief, although that's part of our prayers probably. Most of our foods are safe. Instead, we pray for thankfulness. When Jesus prayed to God before they ate, 5,000 of them, before He fed 5,000, He thanked God. He didn't pray they wouldn't get sick and this sort of thing. He thanked God. When we say our blessing, that's exactly what we mean is we say a blessing. We thank God for the blessing of that food. We've thought of food as a right, but in fact... Food is not a right. It's something we work for. It's something that God, in the end, provides for us. Is that what He says with the, with the sparrow? If I, if I provide everything for the sparrow, how much more do I care about you? He knows every time one of those little birds falls to the ground and dies, all over the world, how much more us? How much more does He care about you? That term sacrament was mixed with the term mystery, which is a Greek term found in the Bible. So sacrament is never found in the Bible, but mystery is, and it's found here in the text that I've just read to you. Notice here, Paul says, look, I'm still delayed, whatever his reasons were. I can't come to you right now. But I want you to know some things, and one thing that I want you to know and to be able to confess about the truth of the church is this, that great indeed is the mystery of godliness. Now you'll remember Paul says this elsewhere, he uses this term mystery, mysterium in the Greek, to mean something that 
is not totally understandable and yet has been revealed. So it's something that's been revealed and yet it's something that at the end of the day we're not going to be able to fully understand. Don't we say that people are mysteries? <laughs> yeah, why? It's not that, you know, if I, if I say that you're a mystery to me or that my children are a mystery to me, it doesn't mean that I don't see them or hear them. But rather that they're not understandable to me fully at the end of the day. We're a mystery. Isn't life filled with mystery? And yes, and yet we would think to ourselves kind of, well, we need to take away the mystery through our scientific study. Or we need to take away the mystery through our logical thinking. But you know what? How boring of a life would that be? If we knew every step, if we knew every function, if we knew every little thing, it would be quite boring. But rather, life is filled with mystery. And there are two mysteries that God has given to us, namely, baptism and communion. Now, the prelude to this begins in the Old Testament. This is our foundation. This is Paul's foundation. This is Jesus' foundation is the Old Testament. The law, the prophets, and the writings. Notice here, in the Old Testament, what are the two signs, the two kind of sacraments in the Old Testament? Circumcision and Passover. These are two things that the Jews were given as signs. Now you know what a sign does. A sign informs us. Bathroom. You know, I mean, some of the some of the first things that you want to, uh, yeah. There's no sign. I, I know, but I'm saying, I'm saying the bathroom is that way. I'm being the sign today. There should be a sign that says bathroom, right? But even on the doors inside there, it says men than women, so to let us know. One of the first things you want to do when you go to a different country is you want to make sure you know where the bathroom is and how that's spelled out. That's one thing you're going to need. You're going to need to know how to ask for food, for water, and where the bathroom is. That's the three things you need to know when you visit another country. If you got that down, then you're going to be okay. You can figure out the rest. Signs, they point us, they inform us of something. Bridge out. One lane. One way. (laughs) These all are pointing to something. And they're very important. And a lot of times we pass by signs and we, we never even notice them. And some signs for us... We've seen so many times that we don't even recognize them anymore. Such as speed limit signs, right? And there are people designated to help us remember what the speed limit is, even though we pass the sign that says 45 and we're traveling 60, um, as my experience has been before. Signs. God gives them signs, and yet what an odd sign circumcision is. I'll never forget in class one morning at Calhoun, I had a young man who, who uh, had some mental issues that was in my class and he sat on the front row and he would often, uh, interestingly, kind of stick his hand down his pants and go to sleep right in front of everyone and even snore. I, I, you know, what do I do? Kick him out of the class? I mean, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't an option for me. I remember one morning, in old, it was an Old Testament survey class, and I mentioned circumcision. And as soon as I did, he woke up and said, Circumcision! 
as if to be spooked out of his stupor. Uh, I don't know if he was afraid of it or, or it was just a shocking term. Nonetheless, I had to then explain for the next five minutes uh, what circumcision was and why in the Old Testament it was a sign. And isn't it an interesting sign? We kind of almost say, circumcision? Really? Why would that be God's sign to us? And what kind of sign is it? And it is a tough thing for us in American 21st century, 3rd millennium people to kind of wrap our heads around. What in the world is this sign that God... Think of Abraham. God comes to Abraham in chapter 12 and says, Hey, I want to give you three things. I want to give you family, I want to give you some land, and I want to make you famous. Abraham says, Hey, that sounds great. Let's do it. So he, woke, he starts walking with God. Then God says, look, I want to kind of formalize our agreement. I want to make a covenant with you. And I want to give you a sign so that everybody knows for all time that you and I are in a relationship together. Abraham says, fine with me. That sounds great. You're going to put it on my forehead so everybody will kind of be able to see that? I says, No. Oh, you're going to tattoo it on my hand. So I have this really cool tattoo. So everybody, when I shake hand, no. Well, where are you going to put it, God? Mm. <laughs> ah. Now, Abraham's 99. Probably older than any of your grandparents are at this point if they're living. 99 years old, and God says, I'm going to put my mark right there, Abraham. Why? Because for the world, that's power. Sex equals power in our world. That's why all of your commercials, like the Super Bowl, famous Super Bowl commercials tonight, almost every one of them are going to be sexually charged. Why? Sex is power. It always has been. It always will be a thing of power in our world. God says to Abraham, you know what? The one thing that can bring a child into the world from a male is what I want to be designated as our sign. Because the power is not there, Abraham. The power is in your submission to me. That's mine. Not yours to do what and with you how you want. In other words, the first sign of the covenant was our sexuality. God wants to be God of our sexuality first. That must be important to Him. How we conduct ourselves as male and female. And that's how the world will know we're different. Because we stay with our wives. Because we're faithful to our husband. Because we don't sleep around fornicate makes an impact we're not like the world and God says that's the first place to start what is the second sign he gives to them the second sign is Passover this is one in which everybody can participate circumcision is only for males thank God be thankful for that in some African religions they actually do female circumcision which I'm not even going to go into it's, it's an abomination, quite frankly. Passover. 
God passing over so as not to kill the firstborn. You remember in Egypt, the last plague was the firstborn would die of everything. Animals and of the Pharaoh himself. Now remember, the Pharaoh was looked at as God. He was one of the gods. And his son was a son of the God. So when the firstborn died, what do you think that message was to the Egyptians? Yahweh's stronger. If you don't submit to Yahweh, you will die. For 14 days, they would take in a perfect male lamb. Meh, meh, little bitty lamb. The kids would all be, oh, here's Billy. (laughs) Snuggle up to him at night for 14 days. And on that 14th day at twilight, the father would take a sharp knife in front of the family and they'd watch little Billy's blood drip out on the floor in a bowl and his life die before them. And as they were doing that, they would remind one another that that is what sin does to us. It kills the innocent. And that somebody has to take our place in order for our sins to be removed. Sin always equals death, in other words. It always affects someone else, not just us. This was a clear object lesson in the Old Testament. And they would smear that blood on the doorpost, that first Passover, so that the angel of death would pass over that house because of the blood of the Lamb. Now what a sign. What a sign. And God says, I give you this sign, Israel, immemorial, for all time. And we know that Jesus fulfills that requirement. And yet, the blood of the Lamb sits before you today. Time immemorial. This is a sign to us, pointing us where? To Jesus. Who is not just the prelude. See, that's all prelude. Those are two signs that are previewing for us what is the center. Who is that center? Where is the center? Jesus is our center. Why? Because not only is He the priest... The father was seen the priest of the family. You lead your family, fathers, as the priest of your family. You are their pastor. That's the responsibility that we've been given. And you must take it very seriously. Jesus is our pastor. Just like I'm not the ultimate pastor. I'm not the pastor. I'm a pastor under the main pastor who is Jesus Christ. I've been commissioned by Him. I'm under His authority. Jesus is our center. He is the one who is salvation for us because not only is He the priest, but He's also the sacrifice all at the same time. He's offering the sacrifice who is Himself. He is the perfect male lamb. 
Isn't this what we just sang about? The Lamb of God, the Lion and the Lamb. He first becomes the Lamb. Innocent, pure, perfect. He lived a perfect life. He never failed God. No one could have done that. No one has done that except for Him. And He was put to death for my sin. It was my voice calling out. Marshall's voice. It was the sin that I've done in my own life that killed Him. And He took that upon Himself. My dirtiness, my sinfulness, my darkness, my immorality. He took that upon Himself as the Lamb of God. And if Jesus is our sinner, what is the very first thing He does in His public ministry? He gets baptized. Now, of all people, Jesus did not need to be baptized. There was nothing that needed to be cleansed about Him. He gets baptized at the age of 30, and yet He had known God and trusted God all of His life. So it's not that you have to be 30 when you get baptized. It's not the case. He didn't need baptism, and yet He did it as an example for us to identify with us. Interestingly, He was baptized in the Jordan River, which is one of the lowest places on the face of the earth. It's under sea level. You know, the Dead Sea, that's, it feeds into the Dead Sea. The reason it's dead is because it's so minerally, if that's a word. Uh, it's so low under the uh, sea level. He came to our lowest point to identify with us. What a God. He didn't, he didn't get baptized in some nice baptistry that had been warmed up for 30 minutes. No. He got baptized in the Jordan, a dirty, muddy Below sea level, lowest point of the earth, river. Why? To identify with us. And at the end of His ministry, what was the last thing He did with His disciples on that night? That Thursday night? He instituted a supper. To be remembered for all time. Just like the Passover. It took the place of Passover. Just as baptism takes the place of circumcision, so too the Lord's Supper, communion, takes the place of Passover. There's a new, updated sign. Both of those signs in the Old Testament, both of those signs in the New Testament, point to the one main sign of God who is Jesus Christ. Isn't He the only way we know that God loves us? He's it. We know that God really loves us because God in Jesus Christ died for us. He gave His life for us. Now when I watch a war movie, I get teary-eyed when I think about the sacrifice that men and women have made for me. 18, 19 years old, and they're dead. Because they're ensuring my freedom. I have great respect there. How much more that God would die for me 
Do you know that? He died for you. Not just for the whole world in some kind of generic, general... He died for you. You were on His mind because He is God and He knew you before He ever even formed you. But do you know that? I don't mean just up here know that. Have you applied the blood of Jesus to your own sin, to your own heart? Do you feed on Him in faith? Or do you continue to feed upon the world and the slop it has to offer? He has real food for nourishment. He is the bread of life. If you want eternal life, you must eat of this bread. Drink of this blood. John 6. Or you have no part of me. Baptism cleanses us. It's what water does. It's what we know. Every night I have to give these kids a bath. I don't like it, but I do it. Not just because Jessica tells me to, but because they're dirty. Of course, if it was up to me, I'd probably skip a day in between there. But We wash them. We must be washed in His cleansing water. In the waters of baptism. In baptism, we die with Him and are raised to new life. Do you remember your baptism? Even if you don't, you've been told about it. Some of you were infant baptized, or some of you were baptized when you were six, twelve. You may not remember everything, but the community remembers. God remembers. They were circumcised at eight days old. And yet, that was the sign of their covenant with God. That was admission into Judaism. So too, if you want to be in God's church, in God's family, baptism is the way in. Of course, faith in Jesus Christ is what saves us. No one's one's saying that baptism by itself saves, and yet it's a part of salvation. It's what Peter tells us. It's part of God's plan. It's just like saying, hey, I can be saved without praying. No, you can't. I can be saved without reading God's Word. No, you can't. Because He commands us to. He commands these two things. Jesus at the beginning of His ministry, baptism. And at the end of His ministry, communion. He institutes these two sacraments. Why are they called sacraments? Because they are a means of God's grace. In other words, this is a trusted way to receive from God His grace toward you. These are acts of kindness. Which is why this morning we are going to respond to this word this morning from 1 Timothy by reaffirming our baptism and then taking of the Lord's Supper. This is the last time I'll preach to you in Epiphany. And Epiphany celebrates Jesus' baptism. It's what we have on on the front of our bulletin here. This is an icon of Jesus' baptism. And again, He is the center of this picture because He's the center of our life. He's the center of of what we do here at Harvest Point. 
If you've been baptized this morning, I want you to come forward in just a few moments and reaffirm that commitment. Just like a vow to the military. Even more so, vow yourself, reaffirm yourself to God. You are one of His. You are a son, a daughter of God Himself. Maybe you've not acted like that, but you can. That's the good news this morning. We can live godly, like God, in this earthly life. If that's not the description you would typically give of yourself, if it's not what your husband or wife would say of you, don't fret. You can be forgiven. Not only that, He can make you godly. We don't believe in this church, according to the Bible, that this is a weak gospel that can only just forgive us and we just keep living how we've been living. No. This is a powerful good news gospel. And that is, we can be transformed by God's Spirit. Not only has God given us signs, not only has Jesus accomplished for us a great salvation, but the Holy Spirit, as Paul says here, Jesus was vindicated in the Spirit. He can apply Christ's salvation, Christ's nature, the mind of Christ to your life. He can raise you up higher than you ever thought possible. He can make you into a woman of God. A man after God's own heart. If we're willing to receive. If our posture is one of openness to God. Would you let Him do that this morning? He can. As Paul says twice in his epistles, He will do it if you'll put your faith in Him. In the Old Testament, the way to be saved was to trust and obey. In the New Testament, the way to be saved is to trust and obey because there is no other way to be happy in this life, in Jesus, than to trust and obey. Faith and obedience. That's the prescription this morning. If your soul is one that's sick with sin, He can cleanse you. What good news that is. Now the way...